Well, hey, uh, guys, uh, I'm excited to uh, introduce our guest speaker for today, Randy Titus. He is the executive pastor of worship services at Mercy Hill Church. I had to read that so that I could get it right because it's a very long title. But basically, that just means he does everything that they need to do with worship services and campuses and all of that. And so we're thankful to have him. He's somebody that I got to know uh, when he first came over to Mercy Hill. Uh, it was through a church merger, actually. Their, their church, uh, Edgefield Baptist Church, decided to throw in with the mission of Mercy Hill, and they gave all of their assets over to Mercy Hill, and they, including one of their greatest assets, which apparently was Randy Titus. And so he came on staff at Mercy Hill, and I got to know him. He pastored me. He's such a good brother. I love this guy. I love his family. They're here with him. And they actually have some ties to Roanoke, so it's fun for them to come back to Roanoke uh, and visit this place, but they're really excited to be here. So can you help me welcome Randy to speak to us today? Well, good morning, Redemption Church. It is an honor to be here with you guys uh, today. I know this has already been said, but if you're watching online or you're here in person, I want to say uh, welcome, and I am personally glad that you're here uh, today. So as Carter mentioned, yeah, this is, uh, there's some ties for me here, and this has been interesting. So I was born at Lewis Gale, Salem, Virginia. Um, my family moved to Greensboro, North Carolina when I was five years old, uh, but I still have some fond memories of the valley. And so yesterday we came up and I got to show my kids, you know, all the Roanoke things. We went up to the Mill Mountain Star and we, we did that. I took them to my childhood home. And so there's some really cool family connections, but um, there's even other family connections for me. As I think about just being here at Redemption Church today, uh, Redemption Church is a part of the Mercy Hill family of churches. And so to be here with what I would consider extended family and to be able to share God's word with you today is a tremendous honor. And so uh, I'm glad that you're here and I'm glad uh, that I'm able to be here as well. I'm honored to be here today. So if you have a copy of scripture, 1 Kings chapter 19 is where we're going to be uh, today. And as you're turning there, I want to tell you guys a little bit of a story that I hope will set the table for our time together this morning. So my wife and I, uh, we have four kids, uh, ages 15, 13, uh, 11, and 8. And um, when you have four kids, okay, that pretty much ensures or guarantees that life is never boring, right? There's always something going on. There's always something happening in the family. Well, I remember a story from, this has probably been five or six years ago now at this point, we were doing the bedtime routine with the, kid, the kids. And if you have children, you, you have some sort of routine, I'm sure. At the time, our routine was, uh, you know, we would get together, we would say a prayer, tell everybody to brush their teeth, they go up to their, to their rooms, and then we would go visit each one of them. Now that my kids are a little bit older, I feel like I'm in bed before many of them. Uh, I don't know if you've experienced that, but that's kind of the stage of life we're in. I'm tired by nine o'clock, and they're just kind of getting revved up. But at this point, uh, we're doing the bedtime routine. And we're walking through the different rooms, and I go into my youngest daughter, Jaden's room, and I crawl up in the bed with her, and I'm sitting there with her, and I'm telling her, you know, all these things that you would want to hear from a dad. You know, Jaden, I love you so much. You're, you're such a special girl. Like, God has made you so unique. I'm just glad to be your father. I'm so thankful for you. And I don't know about you, but for me as a parent, you can sometimes tell, like, when there's something, when the wheels are turning in your kid's mind. And so I could see that the wheels were turning in Jaden's mind. I felt, I felt like she had something to say that was on the tip of her tongue. So I leaned in real close and I listened. And here's what she said to me. She said, Daddy, your breath smells like beef. <laughs> Not, Daddy, I love you too. You're the best daddy in the world. I'm so thankful for you, Daddy. Your breath smells like beef. That's, that's what I got. It's probably true. <laughs> 
I eat a lot of beef. So um, what I was trying to do in that moment as a father, what I was trying to reinforce is that I know two things as a father. I know, number one, that my presence matters, right? My presence matters. Number two, that my breast smells like beef. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Number two, that my daughter needs to hear my voice. Because to be absent is one thing, right, as a parent. If we're absent, that's a problem. But to be present but silent, that's also a problem, right? So we don't wanna be on either of those extremes. I want her to know and to feel that I am present, but I also know that she needs to hear my voice. Here's the problem, okay? Sometimes I think this kind of translates to our relationship with God. I think there are times in our relationship with God where, let's face it, it doesn't feel like he's present. Like we're not really hearing his voice. We're not sensing his presence. Sometimes it feels like God is absent. When you lose your job, when there's a health struggle, when you got a wayward child, when there's something that you've been praying over for years and years and years and years, it can feel like God is absent. And all of these things, I mean, they can cause us to doubt his presence in our circumstances. But what I wanna show you today, hopefully at the end of our time, what I've been able to communicate to you, and if you're taking notes, this is the sort of the big idea for the message today, is that when we feel God is absent, we can know that he is present. When we feel God is absent, we can know that he is present. All right, so let's look at our text, 1 Kings 19. Through this text, we're gonna see God's presence in three major ways. Okay, this is kind of the roadmap for where we're going. We're gonna see that God is present in our fear, that God is present in our fatigue, and that God is present in our faithlessness. Okay, so let's talk about that first one. God is present in our fear. 1 Kings 19, starting in verse one. Here's what it says. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. All right, so here's the situation. Okay, 1 Kings 19, it's right on the heels of 1 Kings 18. And if you're familiar with the, the book of 1 Kings, here's what happened in 1 Kings uh, chapter 18. It's the showdown of epic proportions. The God of Elijah versus the false God, Baal. Elijah calls down fire from heaven. You guys familiar with the story? Calls down fire from heaven. It burns the sacrifice, the wood, the stone on the altar itself. The soil is also consumed and all of the water that was in the trench around the altar, it says that that was consumed by the fire as well. And then Elijah gathers up and kills all the prophets of Baal. And then he runs on foot all the way to Jezreel, arriving ahead of King Ahab. Needless to say, his victory was convincing. Sounds like a pretty epic day, if you ask me. So all of this precedes what we're about to look at in 1 Kings chapter 19. But look how quickly things turn for Elijah when he finds that Jezebel is coming after him. It's, in verse three, it said, then he was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life. Y'all, he probably went from feeling a bit fearless, 
like he could conquer the world. Like, man, I just called down fire from heaven. I defeated the prophets. I ran a marathon. He was feeling pretty good to fearing for his very life. Now, I don't know about you. I've never called down fire from heaven. If anybody in here has done that, I'd love to talk about that. That sounds really interesting. I've actually never run a marathon. Maybe some of you in here have run a marathon. I've never done either of those things. Marathon seems a bit more achievable. But I have had that, that feeling of success followed by fear. I remember several years ago, um, my family, we like to vacation in the mountains of North Carolina. And we were up in uh, like the West Jefferson area. And we're on the New River. And I'll, I'll paint the scene for you guys. Um, we're out on the New River, and I've got my two oldest kids, Haley and Caleb, and we're on kayaks, and we're just going to do a, like an eight-mile sort of cruise down the New River, which if you've ever been on the New River, it's pretty awesome. It's very you know, serene in that part of North Carolina. And so we're just having the time of our lives. It's a beautiful day. The weather's perfect. Got my two oldest kids just chilling with me. Nobody's arguing. Nobody's fighting. We're all kind of going in one direction. Then it starts to sprinkle a little bit, and I thought, you know what? No big deal, right? We're already wet. We're in the water. What's a, what's a little rain going to hurt? Well, then the rain picks up a little bit more. And I'm like, okay, not that big of a deal, deal still. We're, we're, uh, you know, we're already wet. We're, we're in the river, so a little rain isn't going to bother us. Well, then it starts to thunder. And you guys probably know this being here in the valley. There's a difference between thunder, like in the, in the Piedmont area, versus like thunder in the mountains. Like it, it is like horrifying when you're in the middle of like a, you know, ravine and you're in the middle of a thunderstorm. So then I'm starting to think, you know what, we should probably get out of the water. You know, lightning, conductor of electricity, probably a good idea to get out of the water. So we start looking, you know, we're making our exit plan. So we get out of the water, rain's really coming down at this point, thunder and lightning. The only shelter we could find was a tree. Well, then y'all, it starts to hail. Okay. <laughs> and as a parent, I'm, I'm just like, man, what do I do now? So we look up on the mountain, and there's somebody's vacation home up there, and we just we made a run for it, went up there and hid under some stranger's deck up there. So if you own a, a house up there, maybe it was your deck that we hid under. Uh, the point is, y'all, I went from feeling like a hero to feeling like a zero. Like we were having like the best time in our life to, oh my gosh, this is, an actual, this is a legitimately serious situation, and I'm, I'm pretty afraid right now. I remember after the fact, when everything had sort of subsided, you know, my kids asked me, like, Dad, were you afraid? And I was like, oh, no. I lied. I mean, I was, I, was definitely, I was definitely terrified in that moment. I've never been in anything like that. You know, fear, it kind of visits all of us at one time or another. I think Elijah's fear was amplified by the fact that he thought he would return to Jezreel in victory and that the darkness would be pushed back by God's victory at Mount Carmel. But instead of bowing to the God of Israel, Jezebel directed her wrath right at Elijah. But as we read on in this text, we'll see that God was present even in Elijah's fear. Let's keep reading 1 Kings 19, uh, end of verse 3. It says, And he left his servant there, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank 
and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. So Elijah was afraid, running for his life. Y'all, his emotions were running high, yet God was there all along. Elijah wasn't just afraid, he was also extremely fatigued. God was present then as well. And that's our second point if you're taking notes. God is present in our fatigue. If you look closely at this text, there are a couple ways that we know that Elijah was extremely fatigued, both physically and spiritually. And the first one, it says that he left his servant there at the end of verse three. Now, I always thought that was interesting. It's a very small part of the story, but I think it's significant. Here's why. Elijah didn't have a servant because he was some wealthy, affluent person of note. The only reason he had a servant is because he was a prophet. So some commentators have said that Elijah leaving his servant was actually symbolic of Elijah leaving the ministry itself. He was saying, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. So he showed he was fatigued by leaving his servant. Here's the the second way he showed he was fatigued. He lost his purpose and his will to live. Look at verse four. It says, Lord, take my life. So things have escalated pretty quickly for Elijah. Now, I pray that you've never been in in this sort of place like Elijah, but I I think in even a room this size, I'd be doing a, a disservice if we didn't camp out here for just a second because I know that some may have been in that place in their life. Maybe you're there right now. Elijah said, it's enough, Lord. I can't take it anymore. I can't do this. I can't continue on. Look at what's going on with Elijah. He's so tired, running so hard, but there's no end in sight. I mean, has anyone ever felt that way or is it just me? Like you feel like you're just going and going and going and going. But maybe you've lost that purpose. Maybe you've lost that belief or that hope that there's something ahead of you, some brighter future. I've been in ministry for, you know, almost 15 years now. And there's been many times that I've been down that road, questioning my vocation, questioning my effectiveness, questioning my purpose. It's a scary place to be. Maybe you felt that way with your job. Maybe you felt that way with your leadership position. He wasn't sure that he could do, he could do it anymore. But it gets even more serious. Elijah was not even sure he wanted to live. Again, I pray that none of you have ever been down this road before, but I know in a church this size that some have, and this is heavy. And anyone looking at Elijah's story from the outside can see that he's headed down a dark path. Some would say that Elijah was actually suffering from a form of deep depression. He's not in a good spot. But here's what I want you to see, okay? Look how God is present even in Elijah's fatigue. In verses five and six, we see that the angel of the Lord awakens him and provides him with a meal. And then the angel of the Lord does the same thing again in verses seven and eight. You know, it's interesting in verse six, it talks about the hot stones and the jar of water. God gave him food to eat, but he also gave him some food for thought. Remember what I said about chapter 18, where he called, called down fire from heaven and the altar was consumed? Well, in that story, they had doused the altar with jars of water. Okay, you guys see where I'm going with this? And so here's Elijah, he's worn out, he's emotionally exhausted. God provides him a meal and he also provides him with some food for thought. 
a little bit of a reminder. Hey, Elijah, remember when I was with you? Like yesterday, <laughs> when all that stuff happened? Remember you called down fire from heaven and the altar was consumed and you, all that was left was these hot stones. Do you remember that? Just a reminder of God's faithfulness. We also see that Elijah falls asleep twice. I love this image. The Lord is present even in the midst of Elijah's fatigue, loving him, caring for his physical needs, directing him where he should go. And I think we need to take this to heart, especially in our modern day culture, okay? Sometimes the answer to our problem or to our fears is a spiritual answer, right? Like, hey, you need to pray this, or you need to read this, or you need to memorize this portion of scripture. All those are really, really good things. But sometimes the answer is just to stop. Like stop all of the crazy levels of activity for just a moment and rest. Like let the God of the universe pour into you. Lay your head down, take a nap, eat a good meal. We're whole people. The emotional, the physical, the spiritual, they are all interconnected. So your anxiety problem that you've been dealing with, it might be a sleep problem. It may be something with your diet. It might not be. I'm not saying these things aren't spiritual. More often than not, I think that they are spiritual, but they could be physical. The God of the Bible, we see this in this passage. The God of the Bible, he knows this. And he demonstrates this in his care for Elijah. Y'all, God is present in our fatigue and he provides rest. Let's continue on in the text, verse nine, okay? Verse nine says, there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord and behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elijah, Elijah, the son of Shaphat, of um, Abel Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Okay. So I know I just read a lot of scripture. There's a lot there. Okay, we're gonna unpack it. 
So Elijah was afraid. He fled to Jezreel. He was fatigued in the desert. And now in our story, he's at Mount Horeb and still God is present with Elijah, albeit not in the way that he expected. A couple of things I think we should note from this text, okay? So Mount Horeb is where God spoke to Elijah in this section of scripture. And Horeb is actually the same thing as Mount Sinai, which is where Moses received the 10 commandments. That's significant. Log that away. We're going to come back to it, okay? Second thing, did you notice the repetitive nature of this text? Twice God asked Elijah, what are you doing here? And twice Elijah gives him the exact same answer verbatim. Here's what he said twice. I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even only I, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. One thing to note here, okay? I think it's significant that God even asks Elijah what he's doing there in the first place. Why? Do you think God doesn't already know? Right? Like, he's omniscient. He knows everything. So why is he asking a question that he already knows the answer to? It's not like he's going to ask Elijah this question and then be shocked by his answer. He's the God of the universe. He knows all. God knew everything that Elijah was saying. So why did he ask? Here's what one pastor says. I love this. He says, when God asks a question, it's never to get him information. It's to get you information. God was getting something through to Elijah. God asked Elijah twice, and Elijah still didn't get it. Here's why. I think at this point, Elijah had lost faith in what God was doing. You see, Elijah had a plan. The plan was showdown at Mount Carmel, prophets of Baal gone, which in his mind would lead to you know, pushing back the darkness, lots of other good things. But things weren't really going according to Elijah's plan. Fearing for his life, not a part of his plan. The desert, definitely not part of his plan. 40 days, 40 nights, not a part of Elijah's plan. If you boil down Elijah's response, I think you see a man who has lost faith in what God is doing through his situation. Yet even in Elijah's lack of faith, still God was present. And that's our third point. God is present in our faithlessness. Even in our faithlessness, God is still present. And again, I think we can cross that bridge and make the, the connection to our own lives. How many of you have questioned what God is doing in your life? How many of you have questioned what God is doing in our country how many of you look at, at the world around you and see a world marred and wrecked by sin and brokenness? We see deceit at every turn. We see oppression, we see greed, we see violence, we see war, and we wonder, God, what in the world are you doing in all of this? Questions may abound for each of us, and, and many times we begin to doubt whether God is at work or deeper still, we know he is at work, but we get upset because he's not working in the way that we want him to work. Y'all ever been there? It's like, God, I know you're doing something. I wish you'd do it this way, though, because I'm not feeling the way that, that this is coming about. I love what one pastor said about this text. He said, just because God is not working like you expected him 
to work doesn't mean he is less at work. You see, God was at work all along. Look at his response to Elijah. And the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Let me sum up that for you, okay? God basically said that King Ahab and Queen Jezebel that you've been so afraid of and running for your life from, yeah, they're not gonna be around forever. I got a plan for them. I'm gonna take care of that. And you know that thing you've been saying about how you're the only one? How you're the only one who's still following me? Well, guess what? Here's 7,000. You're not the only one. I have 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed to Baal. God was present even in Elijah's faithlessness. And y'all, he's present in our faithlessness as well. So let me move into some application because the question is, how do we apply a text like this. I wanna give you guys three practical ways to apply this and then we'll be done, okay? Here's the first one. The first one is hear his voice, okay? So when we hear a passage like this, where God is present in our fear, he's present in our fatigue, he's present in our faithlessness, the first way that we can apply it is to hear his voice. You remember in verse eight that Elijah went to Mount Horeb and that Horeb is Sinai, where Moses received the Ten Commandments. I told you guys to log that one away. Okay, we're bringing it back up. I also conveniently skipped over the part about the still, small voice of God to Elijah while he was at Mount Horeb. So let's unpack that, because I don't, I don't want you to miss this. This is really, really important. So let me read this text again. It says, And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Y'all, there's some imagery here that we really have to explore because I think it's really important. First of all, verse 13 said that Elijah stood at the entrance of a cave. Some commentaries have said, and they believe that this cave may have been the very place, the cleft of the rock where Moses stood as the Lord passed by. You guys remember that text? Here's the second thing we need to see. In verses 11 through 13, it says that the wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. It also says that the earth quaked and that there was fire. That kind of begs the question, okay? How was Elijah not consumed by all of that? I mean, earthquake, wind, and fire. How was he not consumed by the fire, swept away by the wind, or crushed by the rocks from the earthquake? Y'all, there's only one answer. The answer is he was hidden in the cleft of the rock. That's the only way he was not destroyed. And y'all, we see another rock in scripture. And you say, Randy, you're not comparing this cave or this rock to Jesus, are you? Seems like a bit of a stretch. Look at Matthew 17, two through three. You don't have to turn there. I'm gonna read this for you, okay? Here's what Matthew 17, two through three says. When I read this, it blew my mind, okay? It says, and he, Jesus, 
was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. And behold, there appeared to them two people. Guess who? Moses and Elijah talking with him. That was one of those mind-blown moments in Scripture. Two people whose only hope of encountering God and living owed their life to that rock. And then in the New Testament, they're standing there with the rock, not Dwayne the Rock Johnson, (laughs) the rock of ages, Jesus Christ. Here's the crazy part, y'all. He's our rock as well. See, without the sacrifice of Jesus, without the shelter of his love, y'all, we would have no chance. We'd have no chance to hear that still small voice of God. See, the, the earthquake, the wind, and the fire should have destroyed Elijah, but the rock took the earthquake, the wind, and fire so that Elijah could hear the still small voice of God. And that's our only hope. Every time I read that, y'all, it just, it moves me. It's our only hope. So for the, uh, for the unbeliever here today, maybe you're here today, you've not yet placed faith in Christ. Let me tell you, as lovingly, with as much passion and pleading as I can. The Bible is very, very clear. Each of us will stand before God one day. Every single one of us. You will. And when you do, your only hope of seeing God and living is not in your good deeds. It's not in your church attendance. It's not in how much you gave. It's not in how much you served. All of those are good things. It's not how good of a neighbor you were or are. All of those things are going to be consumed before a holy God. Your only hope lies in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He's your only hope. He's the rock. See, the Bible is clear. We will either face God's wrath through death and separation from him in a place called hell, or we will place our faith in the one who took the wrath of God for us. So if you're not a believer, you can place faith in Christ today. You can walk out of here knowing that you are sheltered by the rock. If that's you, man, I would would love to talk to you at the end of the service today. I know Pastor Carter, Pastor Michael, or any of the leadership here would love to talk to you about that. Let me apply this to believers as well, okay? So that's for the unbeliever. That's a very specific application. Let me apply this to believers as well. I think in a text like this, we've got to remind ourselves of the gospel. Because of Jesus, we get to hear the still, small voice. So let's listen. Listen to his word. Let's get away from the craziness of life for silence and solitude. Put ourselves in a position to hear from the living God. Let's hear his voice. But the second way we can apply this 
is to behold his presence. So hear his voice and behold his presence. God was present for Elijah in every moment and in every way, caring for him emotionally, physically, spiritually. He was present for Elijah's emotional needs when Elijah was afraid, or Elijah was afraid. He was present for Elijah's physical needs when Elijah needed food and needed rest. He was present for Elijah's spiritual needs when Elijah was faithless and sounding like a broken record. God was there all alone, guiding him. So here's the question though. Can we look at our own lives with the same level of clarity that we look at someone else's life like Elijah? We can look back at Elijah and we can see all these ways that God was providing for him, all these ways that God was present. Can we do that with our own lives? When was the last time you reflected on God's goodness to you throughout the course of your life? Maybe you need to take a couple mornings this week and just journal how God has been present. You remember the hot stones and the the jar of water, how that was a reminder to Elijah of God's goodness and his faithfulness? What are those things in your life? Look back over the course of your life and see how God has been faithful to you, how he has been present at every turn, even in the hard times and in the good times. He's there. I would encourage you to take a morning and write down how he's been faithful to you this week. Take another morning and look back one month, then the, you know, then do a year the next day, and then five years the day after that, and what you'll see is a God who is ever present, ever faithful, ever true. When you get to the end of that exercise, let it fuel your beliefs about the future. Behold his presence in that way. So the final application. So hear his voice, behold his presence, believe his plan, okay? Believe his plan. So God is working even when we can't see what he's doing or when we haven't stopped to hear his voice. You see, Elijah was convinced that he was on his own and that all of his work and effort and toil was for naught. God was working through his situation all along. Maybe that's you. Maybe things aren't going well in your life. Things aren't going well in your home. Things aren't going well professionally. Maybe things aren't going well and you can't even put your finger on what's not going well and why it's not going well. You just know things aren't really going well right now. Let me encourage you that God is good. He's not abandoned you. He will not abandon you. We have that promise from scripture, he will never leave you or forsake you. And even if it feels like you're all alone, like no one else shares your experience or sees the pain in your heart, he is present. Hebrews 13, five and six says this, says, for he has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Even when we feel he's absent, he is present. So let's hear his voice, behold his presence, and let's believe his plan. Would you pray with me? Thanks so much for listening with us today. We hope that it was an encouragement to you. But you know, we don't see this as a replacement for gathering with other believers in a local church context. So if you don't have a local church, we would encourage you to plug in with one wherever you are. And if you're in Roanoke, Virginia, we'd love to invite you to plug in with us here at Redemption Church. And you're welcome anytime to gather with us. But you can check us out online at our our website, redemptionroanoke.com. 
You can look for other content or resources there. But thanks again for listening.